Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler. Uh, so today we've got uh, Justin Dobbs with us. How are you, Justin? I'm doing well, thank God. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. It's good to see you. And uh, Scott Smelser is going to be joining us. He's uh, going to get on here in just a few minutes. And we're without Dan this week, so it'll just be the three of us. Um, but while we're waiting for Scott, we can go ahead and get our conversation going for this week. Uh, Justin, what are we going to be talking about today? So we were discussing uh, the uh, the need to talk about some Bible characters, and I almost don't like calling them that. You know, I think everyone kind of wrestles with you know, thinking of them as characters. Uh, the Bible is a book of people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the fascinating things about about the way the Bible story is told is uh, it it leaves the warts on the heroes. Uh, you know, every Every significant player has something to wrestle with. Uh, even Daniel, a man of whom we have no record of his sin, in Daniel 9, he has confessions of his sin. And so these are real flesh and blood people. So when, when you look into the way uh, the Bible story talks about these real people, uh, it talks about these characters in a very relevant way, maybe I should say a relatable way. Mm -hmm. uh, and so today we want to talk about uh, Thomas. Um, so when we talk about the disciples, uh, I don't know, when, when you think about the 12 disciples as individual people, what, what comes to your mind when you're thinking about them? Um, well, I don't know exactly what you mean by that question. Usually, the first thing that came to my mind is I don't usually think of Thomas. Um, whenever I think of the 12 uh, disciples, the 12 apostles, I think of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, um, right. and, and <laughs> Judas. Uh, you know, those are, those are the ones that kind of take the, the spotlight. There's not a lot of information about the rest of them. Um, but also thinking about them, um, at, at least thinking from, you know, the perspective of those guys, um, and maybe, maybe especially, um, Peter, um, I don't know, it, for me, they seem really unrelatable, um, being the, the 12 apostles personally, um, and, and a lot of Bible characters often seem more unrelatable, at least whenever I think about them from a distance, um, they seem like maybe they've reached this kind of unattainable position, um, reading through the Gospels, maybe not so much, but once you get to the book of Acts, especially, man, the apostles are just so much farther above um, right. where, where I, you know, would, would hope that I would be at, um, and they're standing up against the, the threats and persecutions and things, um, but they seem kind of unattainable in, in certain ways. Yeah, something, something changes for them, uh, the resurrection, I think, and there's a strong lesson to be drawn from that is what happens so that Peter is not uh, Simon anymore you know he's now he's now a rock he's, he's someone you can depend on um, he has that hiccup there in Galatians and Paul rebukes Cephas for uh, his uh, being wishy-washy and playing toward you know, the fear of people but uh, yeah they they seem very uh, almost frustrating in the gospels <laughs> so I can I can relate to them there it's like you bunch of numbskulls uh, but it is a great sermon. I don't know if you've heard this sermon, Paul Earnhardt's um, The Mistakes of Jesus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have I have recycled that sermon and uh, it's just super helpful. Uh, so if you're a listener, you can look up Paul Earnhardt, Mistakes of Jesus. It's very helpful. But the idea that these were not perfect men. Uh, in fact, they were probably not uh, the most desirable men mm -hmm. to have. Mm -hmm. uh, if you just run through the list, there's a list of them in Mark 3, Matthew 10, and uh, I think Luke 6. And, you know, Simon Peter, 
he's probably the one that most people go to as far as like, oh, I relate to him because he's always sticking his foot in his mouth. Mm. Uh, says some really good things. And then he says some other things that he probably immediately regretted. Uh, in fact, is it the Mount of Transfiguration? Mark says that mm -hmm. he said this because he didn't know what to say. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. yep. don't, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and kind of going off of that, Paul, uh, later on, he's not talking about the apostles. He's, he's talking to the Corinthians. But I think the statement that he makes in 1 Corinthians 1 certainly applies to the apostles um, when he says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And he chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. And what's low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Um, you know, that, that was the apostles. They were just regular guys. No one really important. Um, a lot of them had some issues. Um, all of them had some issues in, right. in their own right. Um, but it's really amazing. Jesus is, was very patient with them. Um, he rebuked them harshly at times when they needed it, but he was also very gentle and, and patient with them, helping them along the way. Um, yeah. And we'll notice maybe some of those stories um, with, with Thomas in particular. But and I think because of at least just one characteristic, uh, Jesus entrusted the gospel to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was that they just wouldn't quit following Jesus. Yeah. These guys had plenty of opportunities to quit and they didn't uh, save Judas Iscariot. Uh, but these guys who had probably very little in common, except for the, the fishermen, right? But then you've got Matthew, the tax collector. You've got Simon the Zealot. What are they doing on the same team? Mm -hmm. uh, it's Jesus, right? Uh, so John 6, where Peter says, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. So these are, these are notable men. Uh, but again, they have their moments where, like, it's obvious they've got a lot of growing to do. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is going to make something out of them. So I think there's there are worthwhile lessons when we stop and consider uh, that journey that they mm -hmm. took. So to talk about Thomas, um, a lot of people say they relate to, to Simon Peter, uh, and I, I relate to him from time to time. But I'll tell you, uh, in recent years, I've really related to Thomas. Uh, there's something I think he struggled with that I find myself struggling with, too. So... Um, obviously Thomas most famous story about him. What's, what's going on with that? Yeah. The most famous one is probably in John chapter 20. Um, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to the apostles, but he only appears to 10 of them. Uh, Judas has, has, uh, has gone on and, uh, Thomas is not there whenever Jesus first shows himself to the other apostles. Um, and they tell him about it. And Thomas's big thing is no, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Yeah. And earlier, you and I were kind of talking about this. Uh, you you made a really good point about one of the applications we should make from that. Uh, do you want to share that? Yeah, a, a lot of people often, when when you talk about Thomas, um, his uh, usually Thomas is referred to as doubting Thomas, um, right. and that's usually kind of said with um, a little bit of rebuke in in the the idea of talking about him, kind of look. Uh, really bash Thomas about what he does in, in John chapter 20. Um, I'm not so sure if that's really what we should be doing. Um, and if that was what we should be doing, Jesus doesn't approach Thomas in that way. When he does appear to him later on, um, he, he doesn't rebuke him harshly. Um, now, he, he does give him a rebuke, but it doesn't. I don't see harshness in, in Jesus's response to Thomas. He gives Thomas what Thomas asks for um, right. and, and kind of helps him. 
you know, come to come to belief. So um, I don't know. We'll, we'll probably talk more in detail about that. But uh, if your inclination is to kind of bash Thomas for what he does, um, I don't know. I think we should just kind of think about from his perspective more. Yeah, and and Thomas isn't uh, alone in the disciples for struggling to believe. If you look at Matthew twenty-eight, this is interesting. Uh, Thomas isn't mentioned here, but uh, the disciples as a whole are. And you might make the argument that this this wouldn't be the 12 only. There might be other disciples with him. But in Matthew 28, verse 16, it does mention the 11 who went to Galilee. And in verse 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've, you've got disciples who are still wrestling with how could it be that Jesus is raised from the dead? And then in Mark 16... Uh, similarly, verse 14, it says, afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. So at this point, uh, if you read Luke's account, uh, Luke 24, Jesus has already uh, appeared after his resurrection. He's appeared to Simon Peter. First uh, Corinthians 15 verifies that Luke kind of includes it in this kind of odd offhanded way. The two on the road to Emmaus, to Emmaus mm -hmm. see Jesus and they, you know, they, they head back to Jerusalem, excited to tell everybody. And when they get there, uh, they kind of steal their thunder because they're like, hey, Jesus has appeared to Simon. And they're like, well, we saw him too. So by this point, there have already been three uh, people who've seen him. And then John 20, as you mentioned, Jesus appears to the 11 minus Thomas, who's not with them. And I'll tell you, my, my journey in trying to understand Thomas's thinking here began with that question, is why wasn't he with them? Like, mm -hmm. where was Thomas? And I think that raises a really interesting question. Um, so I, I got to looking for more about Thomas, and there are two other places. Uh, we'll look at one now, we'll look at the other later. But in John 11, like you, I kind of thought, doubting Thomas, that's not fair. Um, and so looking at him in John 11, Jesus is in a tight spot because the, the Jewish leaders are seeking him to kill him. Mm -hmm. And at this point, if he comes out of this kind of, not in hiding, but he's, he's got a little more private in his teaching. He's been teaching broadly in Galilee, but at this point, it's more private with the apostles. And he's preparing them for uh, when he's gone. And so he's hiding out near Bethany, uh, but in Bethany, Mary and Martha and Lazarus have sent word to him, especially Mary and Martha. Lazarus is sick, and they kind of imply, like, will you come and help? Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but Jesus, he's going to wait. And then later he says, I need to go and wake Lazarus up. And they're like, well, hey, if he's sleeping, don't wake him up. And Jesus has to, <laughs> like, he's dead. <laughs> you go and, go and, go and uh, raise him. Uh, and so in verse 13, uh, he, he's very clear. Jesus has died, verse 14, 15. For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, here's, here's the, the problem. If Jesus goes, he's going to be making a public appearance. Mm -hmm. Everybody's looking for him. The Jewish leadership is probably going to catch him and, and maybe kill him. And so Thomas says something in verse 16. Um, Luke, or John 11, verse 16, Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Mm -hmm. All right. So if you're to kind of assess Thomas's character as thinking, what do you, what do you think of Thomas here? It seems a little bit, uh, 
uh, I don't know, maybe like an Eeyore, um, <laughs> uh, a little bit sarcastic, um, you know, not, not being very, uh, uh, I guess, enthusiastic about Jesus's decision. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you had a, probably a better view of him than I did at first. I, I, I thought, and by better, I mean more accurate. Uh, I thought, man, he's being brave. He's being courageous here. You know, he's like, all right, if Jesus is going to go and do this thing, I'm going to go and do this thing too. You know, kind of like an Esther, if I perish, I perish. And so here we go. And so I thought, man, calling him Doubting Thomas, it's just not fair. Like we should call him Brave Thomas or Courageous <laughs> Thomas, or, you, know, you know, Thomas the Tenacious, something like that. Um, but I got to looking at this a little more closely. And, you know, Thomas was probably here one of the first disciples to really uh, accept the teaching that Jesus had been going over all along. Uh, Jesus has been telling his disciples, I'm going to die. And of course, Peter's like, no, 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 that'll never happen to you. Thomas is like, yeah, that's, you know, it's probably going to happen. You know, this is, this looks like death to the rabbi here. And, and he willingly goes with him. Uh, so in some sense, Thomas is a little bit further ahead than the others, but in another sense, he's not really believing Jesus here either, because I don't know, Jesus doesn't seem to have any fear about going. There's no indication that he's going to suffer in this situation. He's going to go take care of Lazarus. And if he is your master, you got to trust him. It's kind of like when they're back in the boat, crossing the sea, the storm comes up, Jesus is asleep. Um, and do you remember the question that they asked Jesus on that occasion? Don't you care? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like, hey, would you wake up and deal with this for us? But they assume that Jesus just doesn't care about them, hence the storm. So uh, Jesus calms the storm, but then he turns and rebukes them for their lack of faith. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm with you. you know, don't you believe me? Don't you trust me? And Thomas here, I think, um, he is, he's sort of a stoic mm -hmm. and in, in the Greek philo philosophy of the stoicism, um, stoicism is, it's not, it's not like glass half full optimism or, uh, glass half empty pessimism. It's more like there's water in the glass and let's just be real about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Marcus Aurelius in quoting Epictetus. Uh, said, as, as you kiss your son goodnight, whisper to yourself, he may be dead in the morning. Now, hmm. now think about this from, from a Stoic's perspective. Uh, why, why would that be? Uh, I'm not saying that is a healthy way to live, by the way. I'm going to kind of push back on that in a minute. But why would you think that would be advice to someone? Like, as you kiss your son goodnight, whisper to yourself, he may be dead in the morning. This is maybe kind of mentality. If you accept the the worst possibility, you'll never be disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. If you expect the worst, and then the worst happens, all right. Well, you know, there's water in the glass, so it's you know, it's just what you expect. But if the worst doesn't happen, then it turned out better than you thought. Okay. So it's almost like a sad kind of optimism is what Stoicism is. Uh, and Mark, Marcus Aurelius was talking with someone about this quote, Epictetus, and they said, you know, don't tempt fate. You know, if you say your son may be dead in the morning, it's like you're tempting fate, you know, like you're, you're wishing death on your son. And, and he says, am I 
am I tempting fate by talking about a natural event? Is, is fate tempted when we speak of grain being reaped? So, you know, one day my son's going to die. Just accept it. And I need to think about the unthinkable. I need to be willing to entertain these thoughts because they're real. And so Thomas might have said, look, this is real. This is the scenario we're going. And Jesus is likely going to die. Let's go and die with him. And there's a kind of courage about that that I appreciate it. But then I realized when you get to John 20, where is Thomas with all this? Uh, and I think, and, and maybe I'm reading between the lines too much, but if, if Thomas is anything like me, or if I'm anything like what I think Thomas is, um, Jesus has died. And he died in a way I don't think Thomas was prepared for. The trouble with believing the worst is that you never actually know what the worst is going to be. Something can always go worse than what you imagine. And I don't think Thomas was prepared for the cross. So when Jesus actually does die, and then from Thomas's point of view, what he's got to do is he's got to say, all right, he's dead. He's gone. And I knew that could happen. I knew that was coming. It didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen, but he's gone. Now something even stranger is happening to Thomas because there's been the report that Jesus is alive. And he's emotionally unprepared to deal with the good news that Jesus is alive. And so he's off by himself kind of trying to deal with, with life. Uh, he's, he's kind of got this motto. Um, you've heard the, the saying, every cloud has its silver lining. Thomas's motto would have been behind every silver lining lurks a cloud. Uh, but what he wasn't prepared for was what was behind that cloud. It's like, yes, Jesus is dead. Okay, I can deal with that. But now he's alive again. I don't know what to do with this. So when Jesus, Jesus is now seen and he's appeared and people are, are coming together and they're worshiping him and they're honoring him. And, and he comes back to his disciples like they have lost their mind is what Thomas is thinking. Like you guys have just like, would you get real about this? Like me, you know, I'm, I'm being real. Uh, he's unprepared to accept joy. And, and the resurrection has got to change that for Thomas. So, so what I see in Thomas and what I learned from Thomas is, is the the ability to receive real joy. Um, see, there's another reality. Marcus Aurelius and your son may be dead in the morning. Okay, that's reality. But there's another reality behind that when you put the resurrection in there. When, when you realize that Jesus did die, he was raised, then suddenly you can have hope and you can have joy. And because you believe in Jesus, then you can face the real, you can face the worst possible scenario but you can entrust that to God who intends to use it to bless you, who is ruling over all these things. And Jesus proved with his resurrection that, that there's purpose in all this suffering, that, that there's a plan behind what seems to be this chaotic, worst possible scenario line of events. And, and Thomas shows it's not just unbelief, but it's a kind of, it's a kind of unbelief that relishes in the worst and says, I, I need to prepare myself for the worst. I, I need to secure my own heart. And instead of, I need to trust Jesus and he's got this in control. Uh, I, I think the stoic point of view is afraid of things 
beyond my control, afraid of being unprepared for the worst. And the fact is that Jesus has already taken care of the worst. He really did die, but he really was raised. And so this kind of view makes real joy possible. And, and what that's done for me personally, um, I have a hard time uh, getting excited about stuff sometimes. Like I have a hard time uh, when, when we, um, th there was a time in Boston, we were living in Boston and we made an offer on a house and everything was going great. Like we started packing up our apartment, putting everything in boxes, started taking shelves off the walls. I mean, we're, Lindsay's staging, moving. She's moved a lot, so she knows how to do this. And we're staging, we're staging, putting stuff in boxes. And the day before the closing, I got a call from the mortgage company saying, just it's falling through. So I had to go back to the apartment office and say, hey, could you extend our lease? Is there somebody getting the apartment? It's like, no, it's clear. You can stay there for another seven months or whatever it was. And we started unpacking our boxes. And, um, and I was okay because I'd kind of like, all right, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna believe it until we got the key. But I've had other experiences where we got the key and then I didn't know what to do with it. Like you, you don't get excited. You don't get emotionally invested in the best possible scenario. Um, the first time that, that we were pregnant as a couple, um, about, about 14 weeks into it, we lost the baby and you know, we had a miscarriage. And I'll tell you that, that ruined me for a little while. Um, so the next time we got pregnant, I just couldn't, I couldn't get emotionally excited about the possibility of having a child until I was holding that baby in my arms. And, and there's something about hope and joy and faith. Uh, I think I was allowing myself to be robbed by that, by not trusting that God had my best interest in heart. Um, that doesn't mean that things are always going to work out the way I want them to, but it means that I'm not in control. And I was trying to like control my emotions, control my response, instead of just saying, Jesus is in charge here. And, and whatever he sends my way, that's what's right. And allow myself the, the ups and the downs and the, the, the joy and the excitement, as well as the disappointment. Um, because if you try to save yourself from disappointment, I think you're also limiting your ability to respond with joy to the blessings that God does send your way. I, don't know, does, I hope that makes sense. Uh, but I think Thomas teaches faith that allows yourself to ride out those, those moments, knowing that God's in control of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what, what you're saying reminded me a lot of um, maybe the, the mentality that's kind of revealed in Solomon's writings in Ecclesiastes, um, where he goes through, and in a lot of ways, Ecclesiastes is like, a, it's, just, it's a book of realism. Um, this, is, this is what life is. This is how it's empty. This is how it messes up. These are all the broken you know, parts of life and, and that sort of thing. <clears throat> and I don't know, maybe at a superficial reading, you might come away from Ecclesiastes and think, uh, you know, just don't get it too involved because you're going to waste your time. Um, but in fact, that's actually the opposite conclusion that Solomon comes to. Um, a number of times throughout the book in Ecclesiastes, he, he's very, he acknowledges everyone dies. Um, you know, you don't always win because you're the best. 
Uh, sometimes there's still oppression, even if you want to try to fix it, there's oppression in the world. And, and he goes through all of the hard things to deal with in the world. But time and time again, he comes back to the conclusion where, um, like an example is in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 18. Behold, I've seen what's good and fitting uh, to eat and drink and find enjoyment and all of the toil with which one toils under the sun in the few days of his life that God has given him for this is his lot and everyone also whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. Um, so he, he comes back to this conclusion saying, yeah, life is hard. Life is vain. There are some things that maybe it might be easier to approach with a stoic kind of attitude but enjoy life, uh, you know, apply yourself, invest yourself in life. God has given us a life to enjoy. And maybe it could be kind of tempting to turn off emotions. I don't know that uh, that resonates with me when you're talking about that, Justin, I think I'm like that sometimes where, you know, it's just easier to, to not feel um, it's, it, it, you can't get hurt, but then you also don't get excited. Um, there's, there's value in both. Um, there's yeah. goodness in, in both in the hurt that we that we experience, but also in the joy that we experience. God, God has given us both of those things. And maybe real maturity comes with being able to understand and appreciate the value of both. Um, so yeah, I think that, that's a good thought. I hadn't thought about Thomas. And, and we see we see God expressing emotions in, in a lot of different ways. I mean, he gets super excited. Um, he rejoices over his people. Uh, the prophet's talking about him dancing with joy over his bride. Uh, then he's also grieved to his heart in Genesis 6. Uh, so he he feels those emotions strongly. So if, if my view of God is this stoic kind of impersonal God who's just going through the law, and then that's that's not what we see. He's, he's invested in this. Um, you know, we, we need to uh, allow ourselves that. And, and there's a song, there's a hymn. Um, we, we actually... Um, we lost the first child uh, when Lindsay miscarried. It was on Sunday morning. And uh, what I should have done was I should have called one of the elders and said, I, I can't go today. Like it was, it was like 40 minutes before Bible class. Um, but I was a young husband and, and just wasn't processing that the way I should have. I should have stayed with my wife. But I went down, I taught Bible class. And, um, and I preached, Lindsay stayed home and no one knew, you know, and just, I didn't know how to process it. And so I just kind of like tried to stay in my lane. Um, we sang the song because he lives right before I got up to preach. And, uh, you know what that second verse says? It's a, mm. how sweet to hold, how sweet to hold our newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. And, uh, and I sang it, but I was just going through the motions. And I had a hard time with that hymn. It used to be every time I sang that hymn, like I just couldn't, you know, sing it without, without crying. But that hymn was really helpful to me because, you know, the, the chorus says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. You know, because he lives, I'll fear is gone. This child can face uncertain days, you know, because he lives. And so suddenly it wasn't just, well, my child died. Now it's my child has a savior. My child has a Lord. My child has a place at home in heaven with God. And it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus. Thomas's 
stoicism, if that's what we want to call it, um, it, it is confronted by the, the truer reality that Jesus died and was raised and is now Lord of heaven and earth. And so whatever you're going through, uh, the worst possible scenario, or maybe worse than you could have imagined, the resurrection changes things, changes the way you view those sorts of things. And so I, I found Thomas uh, challenging to my kind of default position, which is don't get too involved, don't get too excited. You might be disappointed. Uh, you gotta, gotta learn to trust God a little more in that. That's, yeah. that's all I had on Thomas. Yeah, and, and I think it's helpful to see, too, how Jesus approaches Thomas in John 20, um, because that's, uh, it seems to be what Jesus realizes as well, that that's going to be able to give Thomas the power to be able to kind of overcome this, this doubting or the stoicism or whatever, you know, you, we, we call that. Um, when he appears to him, he gives him exactly what Thomas asks for. <laughs> Um, you know, in, in John 20, verse 25, Thomas says, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and put my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I'll never believe. And then a week later, Jesus appears. And in verse 27, he says, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it in my side. Like, go ahead. Uh, here's the evidence. Here's, here's what you need to help you to overcome whatever obstacle that you that's facing in your mind. And I like um, I like that story because I think it's helpful um, to to realize maybe how to approach certain people maybe in a similar situation as Thomas um, that are are disbelieving uh, for whatever reason. Um, there comes a point in time where there's there's enough evidence that's been given to yeah. that person, and they don't need more evidence. They don't need more, you know, uh, you know. Bible verses to memorize or, or whatever, they just need to be told, listen, you need to stop not believing <laughs> and you need to get into this wholeheartedly. You need to believe. And I don't know. Yeah. I like, I like what Jesus says there. Like, it, that's not something that you normally say. If somebody's not believing, you don't say, stop that. <laughs> um, but sometimes that's the appropriate response to, to have to someone that, that they just need to stop what they're doing and start believing in Jesus who has the keys of death in Hades. Um, uh, I think that's really powerful. And, and when it comes to, you know, that stoicism that you were talking about as well, um, that's something that I think I need to hear sometimes, you know, stop just being turned off and, and start feeling, you know, start, start experiencing, you know, the, the feelings and applying yourself in different situations and being willing to feel the hurts and be willing to feel the highs um, and trusting God, you know, through, through both of those. I think it's, it's a powerful yeah. admonition that, that Jesus gives to Thomas. I think it does come from a kind of fear um, that we've got to control our situation. And we realize we can't, at least I can control my emotional response. Um, but, but we're not in control. We're not in charge. Jesus is. Uh, and, and so if, if I would let God rule the world uh, and, and believe him, uh, someone who's worried, someone who's anxious, uh, someone who is fretful, and someone who's trying to guard themselves by just choosing to numb their emotions, really what they're doing is they're not believing God. Have you guys, I came in about uh, seven minutes late. Have you guys gone through each of the texts in John about Thomas, the, the John 14 one as well? We did not look at John 14. All right, let's, uh, let's in our main time here, let's just go back through each of them, including John 14. So in John 11, 
um, you know, Jesus, Lazarus, he knows what's happening. The apostles don't understand. He delays until he is dead. And when Jesus says, let's go to Judea again, what was it that the disciples say? So we're in verse eight. No, 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 verse. Yeah, verse eight, John 11. Yeah, they almost, like Jesus forgot, they remind Jesus, Jesus, don't you remember the Jews want to kill you? Like, why do you want to go there again? Yeah. And so uh, uh, your, your description of Thomas is, is kind of a stoic, whether that term would have been applied to himself by himself or somebody else. I can, I can see that uh, is a likely thing in Thomas. There's also some bravery here. Um, right. he's, he's willing to die, but he's, he doesn't understand that Jesus is going to die for our sins, apparently. He doesn't understand there's going to be a resurrection. It's we left and they had been trying to kill you. Now we're in a safe place and you want to go back there. And it's Thomas who says, and it, 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 sometimes I imagine how people said things and sometimes I'm probably wrong. Maybe sometimes I'm right. I would see Thomas saying it like this. Let's also go and we'll die with him, <laughs> which <laughs> a bravery, you know, because he's like, no, no, I'm not going. No, I'm willing to go. And it, almost like a soldier who's serving under a sergeant or a commander who just made what looks like a bad strategy decision. You know, well, we're probably going to die, but it's my job. I'll go with him. Just mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's like, don't you believe your captain? You, you got to trust your commanding officer. He's going to lead you to victory. And you see that kind of lack of faith even here in, his, yeah. in Thomas's bravery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and when he needs to see, it says, I need to see the, you know, the, the nail holes and everything. Jesus does that for him. He absolutely does. But then he, there's also Jesus' comment. He says, now you believe, blessed are those who haven't seen it and will believe. So, and, and, and like Peter will praise the saints up in Bithynia who not having seen, you believed. So there's some things, there's some, like with Peter, there's some strengths in Thomas and there's some weaknesses in Thomas. Uh, in John 14, We've got, uh, this is the, this discussion, end of John 13, John 14, 16, 17. Nowhere else do we see so much conversation among all, you know, a variety of apostles. Right. Um, and let's see what it is that Thomas says. So Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Okay. Philip speaks up somewhere else. Peter speaks up somewhere else. Judas, not Iscariot, speaks up somewhere else. But this is where Thomas speaks up. And Jesus just said this noble statement. And Thomas's statement is. Lord, we don't, we don't know. know where you're going. Where you're going. Yeah. We don't know where you're going. 
How do we know the way? Uh, so I, Thomas seems to have a little bit of a sarcastic streak to him and not always real filtered. You know, um, sometimes we have thoughts in our mind. Proverbs says the fool says everything that comes into his mind. Sometimes Thomas looks like, you know, he he says what's in his mind. Um, and then, of course, you've got the other disciples have seen him. And I, I think that's interesting how you described back in John 11, he thought that Jesus is probably going to get killed. We're probably going to get killed too. Let's go. Uh, but then when he does get killed in the way, because a stoning would be a lot quicker than a crucifixion. Um, I found your description of what might have been going through his mind interesting that he steeled himself for the one, but not not prepared for the other. And then the others tell him, and what does Thomas do? Instead of listening, processing, I'm not believing it until I see it myself. And then Jesus shows him. And then he says, my Lord and my God. <laughs> and then Jesus says, because you've seen, you believe, blessed are those who haven't. Mm -hmm. a variety of personalities among the apostles. And you also see growth in the apostles. And guess what? In disciples today, variety of personalities, and that's our job to be growing. Mm -hmm. The answer that Jesus gives Thomas, both in John 20 as well as here in John 14, uh, Thomas, you kind of see him uh, maybe sarcastic, maybe just he wants to know, like he wants the, the ability to control the situation. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, you, could, you could be saying, Lord, you know, we don't know where you're going. How, how do we know the way? Yeah, <laughs> and, and there's a little bit of be. worry, anxiety here. Like, I want to know what's coming. Uh, and so what, what Jesus tells him is, I'm the way, yeah. the truth and the life. And so th that's, that's the answer that we need uh, when we're facing realities that we, we don't know how to process is, I, I don't know. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what worst scenario. I don't know where my path's going to lead. I don't know what's, you know, is my son going to be alive in the morning or not? I don't know, but I know Jesus. And I know, I, I know as long as I follow him, that things are going to be okay. Jonathan. Yeah, another thing that I was thinking is, um, you know, when it comes to trying to figure out, you know, what, what philosophy of life is superior, um, you know, is, is optimism superior is, is stoicism superior is pessimism superior and i, I don't know uh, or, or or realism um you know maybe more times than not i find myself kind of thinking more along the lines of a realist um maybe similar to that stoic type of philosophy which which is not not good in, in certain ways like what we've been talking about um but i can find myself thinking that that way of thinking is superior to others it's almost stronger um, to feel that way, to, to, you know, not be brought down by emotions or whatever. Um, when you read the Bible, um, the, the superior philosophy of life is faith. Um, yes. Trust, trusting in God. That's, that's the superior way of living. That's the way of peace. That's the way of comfort. That's the way of joy. Um, that's the way of strength. It's, it's faith in, in Jesus. Um, and so, you know, whatever perspective you're trying to come from <laughs> to figure out the best way to live life, if it doesn't include trusting in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, you're going to come up short. 
Um, and th that seems to be, you know, Jesus's answer to Thomas, both here, like what you pointed out, and in John 20. And in the book of Philippians, we have just such a great example of joy in suffering and learning to look. Philippians is not just optimistic. It is. Paul's looking on the bright side. He's not just looking on the bright side. He's looking on the eternal side. He's doing in Philippians 1 what he said in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, I don't look at the right. things temporary. Now, here's why we don't lose heart. I don't look at the things that are temporary. I look at the things that are eternal. Um, and one of my, here, here's just a thought on, yeah, in everybody's life, there's going to be a number of things that are sad and, and suffering and painful. There's also going to be joys and blessings. Uh, and we're not guaranteed what ratio it's going to be. Uh, Job, for a long time, had a lot more pleasantries than suffering. Mm -hmm. And then he hit a point where it was just suffering, laid on suffering, laid on suffering, laid on suffering. Um, but there's a verse at the end of Matthew 6 where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his rights. Don't worry about, are you, am I going to have enough to eat? Am I going to be able to buy some clothes? Lord knows that you need these things. Uh, and seek first the kingdom of God. These things will be added unto you. Now, it doesn't say you get all your wants. Matthew 6 is talking about your needs. But we also get a lot of wants. We really do. But it says, don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. And you know what? Uh, for everybody listening live, uh, for all of you listening to a podcast, whatever day you listen to this podcast, uh, the day that you listen to this podcast, there's going to be some good things happening on that day. There's going to be some unfortunate things that happen to you on that day. Yeah, yeah. The worst thing might be, it might be a good day, and the worst thing is you stubbed your toe, Okay. So you, know, you wish you didn't, but you did. Um, it could be some terrible tragedy hits you today. Sometimes we don't notice the blessings, but here's a, a thought I'd like to um, present here as we're coming toward the end. It's good for us that life has both ups and downs, pains and pleasures, because uh, there is life and death. It's, it's a fact of life. Um, we're, eternal life is not in this body on this earth. And if we think it is, we're going to be disappointed. But would you want to know all the bad things that are going to happen to you the rest of your life? If there was a file cabinet in your house, would you want to, and in there is filed away everything that'll ever happen, every disease, every pain you'll ever have. Uh, the death of all your friends and loved ones, uh, every disappointment, uh, brethren that you had confidence in who are going to fall away, uh, friends who you were at their wedding or performed their wedding or standing there as part of the uh, wedding party who are later going to cheat on their spouse, all the things that are going to break your heart over the years. Would you want to open that cabinet and read everything difficult you're going to face the rest of your life? Maybe the last seven years of life, your life, you're going to be an invalid and yet all, every miserable thing about that yeah. is too much. And next to it is a cabinet of everything good that's ever going to happen to you the rest of your life. And if you read it, that's it. <laughs> it's like, you know, opening all your presents at once. <laughs> um, 
the bishop to the day is the evil thereof and the blessings thereof. Okay. Comes at us a day at a time. And a lot of days are just loaded with blessings and few disappointments. Some days are just heavy, heavy days of mourning. But there's some, some blessings there too. But if we take each day as it comes, learn and be strengthened by the pains and appreciate and have joy in uh, and don't take for granted the blessings that will help us mm -hmm. sufficient to the day is the evil thereof mm -hmm. all right well uh anything else you guys want to say about thomas or anything before we wrap up all right, all right cool. very deep question should we pronounce it thomas or thomas and with that we will see everyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, thank, thank you thank you guys for your discussion today um thank you thank you justin for helping take us through that and think about thomas some more uh again to our audience if you have any comments or questions about thomas or anything else you'd like us to discuss on our program visit our website biblequest.tv and we'll be happy to do those in any future programs that we have so that's all we have for this week and we'll plan on seeing everyone next week lord willing <laughs>